When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Welcome to the art of charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. We're here with Grammy award-winning hip-hop artist Lecrae Moore. We'll talk about making it to the top of the world of hip-hop while being an introvert, growing up fatherless, filtering in the right role models and mentors, and how to separate criticism from valid feedback. So enjoy this one with Lecrae Moore. And with that, welcome to the Art of Charm. We bring together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, in your relationships, and at work. If you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and our toolbox where we discuss concepts like body language and nonverbal communication, persuasion, networking, negotiation, mentorship, and everything else we teach here at The Art of Charm. In the U.S., just text CHARMED to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. Everywhere else, go to theartofcharm.com. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the right questions. All right, let's talk to Lecrae Moore. So, Lecrae, tell us what you do in one sentence. What I do in one sentence, I inspire through art. That's about as vague as it gets, but I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate it. Hey, at least we got art in there. And, and so why don't, why don't I toot your horn for you? Because I know that being humble is, is literally in the book that you follow. So you won a Grammy, and was that in the gospel category? Yeah, I won, I won one in the gospel category, so... Uh, first hip hop artist to win a, a Grammy in the gospel category. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So me and Elvis have something in common because Elvis only won a Grammy in the gospel category as well. Not bad. Yeah. Good stage to be on up there right. with Elvis. And you got nominated for, I guess I'll put this in air quotes, a regular hip hop Grammy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I got nominated for uh, best uh, hip hop song. What did that? What does that signify? Because if you start off as a gospel artist, and I, I read your whole book, by the way, I meant to tell you that, so I'm not coming in like kudos, reading your Twitter kudos. profile. It seems like when you won the Grammy in gospel, you're on top of the world. But what did it signify when you were nominated for the other Grammy? Because it seems like gospel, it's its own little world, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, and I mean, I think art's supposed to transcend culture and faith and genre. So for me to be nominated in a category with, you know, just people who I consider peers in music and art. Um, it's to me, it said the music was being looked at like as broader than just the faith that Lecrae subscribes to. 
it seems like that led to a whole bunch of other identity stuff, and I'll get into that in a bit. Because when you started off, you were you, you weren't exactly born into the church, grew up goody two shoes like a lot of the people I know that are are religious now that I grew up with, or and were religious before. They they were always that way, right? They know right. no other side, and you have kind of an interesting origin story. I almost take issue with the following, though, and I, I'm so curious. You're a self-described introvert. How can you be a hip-hop star and an introvert at the same time? Explain to, explain to me how you came to this conclusion. I have a theory that my theory is that most entertainers are probably introverted. I think they might be. I have to get more time with them, but, like, I think it's easier to, like, be on a stage and to, like, give off this big burst of, like, personality and energy or like even, you know, just on TV or whatever, as long as you have a opportunity to retreat back into yourself and just like have some downtime. So I feel like that. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like introverts are like we're weird people where we need to like we need to like come back and have our own little time. And then we can come give you some of some of what we've been doing in our mind by ourselves. You know, I, I agree with that. First of all, According to those personality tests, believe them or, or not, I am also an introvert. However, you know, here I am with a talk show. But I agree with you. It is, at some level, much easier to go in the shell, in the hole, whatever, in the room, in the studio, literally, create yeah. something, spend tons of time reading and, and researching and experimenting on your own late at night, early in the morning, or whenever you work, and then you come out and you go, here's the thing I created, and then you kind of slam the door and look out the window and see how people are doing with it versus being in the middle of it all the time. Oh, that's one of the best descriptions I've ever heard. That's perfect. So it doesn't surprise me, even though it sounded like, in the, initially I read that, I was like, what, a hip-hop star is an introvert? It actually didn't surprise me when I started thinking about it, because I, I think you're right. There's probably a lot of people that, rather than go to a party and be the center of attention, would rather be in the studio working. And you, on its face, it looks like, man, that guy works so hard. And that's definitely the case. But I think a lot of, a lot of creative types would just rather be in the studio working or doing something rather than being at the party doing the who's who and being seen thing. So true. I'm the worst networker ever. Like I'm the worst at all of that. I don't know how to do the little dance song and dance, small talk stuff. Like I go to the industry parties and it's just kind of like, I'm like, are we, are we, what are, are we having a serious conversation or what are we going to do? What are we doing <laughs> here? Are we talking about hors d'oeuvres? Are we like going to dive in? So <laughs> yeah, you, it's almost like, that attitude comes across as I don't have time for small talk, which also that that's what contributes to the whole like, man, Lecrae works so hard. That guy's always in studio. That guy's always hustling. That guy's always doing stuff because it probably combines with a an already all star work ethic. And then the introversion just makes it seem like, man, he's so driven. He doesn't even go to parties. Meanwhile, you're like, I'm not going to that party. Are you kidding me? I'm going to have to talk about weather and bread and handbags. Like, give me, no way, man. I'm just going to sit here and write. And nobody wants to talk about bread, man. I'm talking <laughs> about bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's well, perfect. Speaking of networking, though, you, you, the Beyonce party story oh, was kind of crazy. I, tell us tell us the story, if you would. Um, so it was epic, man. It was like, you know, I'm, um, I, I'm invited to the Rock Nation party. You know, it's Jay-Z, Beyonce. They have this incredible um, house that, um, you know, they're throwing a party on the lawn. You know, the, you park your car like 10 miles away and then a bus comes to pick you up. I'm riding on a bus with Diplo. It's just like, what is happening right now? Um, the bus has the, Diplo DJing yeah. on it, you mean? Like there's a DJ on the bus? 
No, like he's riding on the bus to go to oh. the party. There's no DJ. Yeah, like Diplo's oh, okay. like, like sitting in like the seat in front of you. Like we're all on like the like the small school bus type of thing. So it was like <laughs> the short just, bus. Yeah, the short bus. It humanizes everybody real quick. It's like Diplo <laughs> sitting there with his knees in his chest. It's just got like, oh well, let's just look at this. You shouldn't have sat on the wheel. You know, you're not supposed to sit on the seat where the wheel is, and you got your legs on that wheel. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> just like school. So then we, you know, we get to the party and it's kind of like, there's this, like the pantheon of elite superstars, you know, like underneath this pavilion in the center of the lawn. And then the rest of the the lawn is scattered with, you know, like stars, you know? So it's like, it's Beyonce and like Nicki Minaj and Jay-Z and all these people just underneath the Calvin Harris, just kind of hanging out underneath this like pavilion with security everywhere and then there's like everyone else you know what i mean like i'm not going to name the everyone else's um but you know i mean if you could think of them they're there so it's like you know i mean like everyone's there i'm the will smith kids like everyone's there and it's just funny to me because i'm at this party and i'm in my introverted zone i'm just kind of chilling like watching everything happen and and you realize like you know, no one's going to like start a conversation, but then there's a part of you that's like, do I start a conversation? Because I don't want anyone to just feel like, you know, what is this? What, you know, what are you, is, is he bothering me or what's happening here? Like, it's just a weird type of vibe. And I just sat and watched, man. I'm like a people watcher. So I was just watching, I was, you know, just, you just watch how many times your favorite celebrity digs in their nose or you're just sitting and watching this whole thing happen to you. So you felt like an outsider from the whole scene. I mean, and just, just to put this in context, I looked at your social media and Twitter feeds and stuff like that. You've got over 2 million people following you on Twitter. So you're not exactly like the new guy who's never done anything. You're, you're by any relative or absolute measure enorm, enormously successful, except sure. when you're standing next to Jay-Z and Beyonce, and then you feel like oh, everybody yeah. else does when they stand next to Jay-Z and Beyonce, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's what it felt like. It just felt like, you know, like what I mean, what is the conversation gonna be like? Hey Beyonce, I I was I, I was born in Houston too. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Did they know who you were? I mean, you got invited there, so they must have known who you were. Yeah. I mean there was lots of people who did know who I was. It just it, it was just kind of like I didn't realize they did until we started conversations, you know, so it was like eventually you have a conversation with somebody, you know, you get, you, you know, and you, you start talking to them and you're like, oh, okay. So you're familiar with what I do. And they're like, of course, you know, but it's just a sense of like, but you're, you know, aren't you like a, a super religious guy or like, what's your thing? You know, like, I don't know how to act around you anyway. So, and you realize at that moment, like, oh, like, you know, people are driven by stigmas. I'm sure there's probably some gangster rappers who are in the party who are like, no one's talking to me. They probably think I want to stab them, but I don't. I just want to have a conversation, you know? And so um, maybe that was, you know, what was happening. Now, one of the things that you recounted in your book was that a lot of people actually did know who you were, but a lot of them ignored you. And you yeah. started to get in your head and you started to have a conversation with yourself. Do you remember that conversation? Uh, I mean, you know, parts of it, just like, do they think like, I'm going to preach to them right now or do they, are they questioning like, can I drink around them or like, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, and that's how I usually feel. All, like even the studio sessions, it's just always a sense. Like I'll be in the studio with like 
so many incredible artists that I admire and respect. And there's just a sense of like, can I smoke? Can I drink? Can I cuss? I don't know. Like, it's almost like I'm an alien and right. who just walked in the room, you know? And even at the Grammys, you, you experience something very similar. I mean, you, you recount how even security is like, hang on a second. Who are you? You know, you're, oh, hold on. Wait for him to finish taking pictures. So you're at the top, but it almost like it, it still almost doesn't matter. You just find yourself at the bottom of another pyramid. Yeah. It's it's like going from high school to college. You know, you could be like the man in high school or just like the person that everyone knows. You got your group of friends. But then as soon as you get to college, like you got to start all the way. Over. You got to make new friends. You know, you have to like find a different social circle. It's just starting all the way over. And that's kind of how it felt. It's like, you know, um, I'm thrust into this world where a lot of the artists that I come up with and, and have developed relationships with have not had the opportunity to come to. And um, now I'm here with these, you know, just these super talented people. And um, and they're like, yeah, I, I don't know you. Back up. And so yeah. it's like, oh, OK. <laughs> So if you're at the top and it almost kind of doesn't matter for a lot of folks, first of all, how does it make you feel and, and how do you handle those feelings? Because you gave a great analogy, being the new kid at school, but the same thing will happen to somebody going into a new workplace, moving to a new town. I mean, these feelings are pretty universal. And I think yeah. the reason it's so interesting to hear from you is because you'd think that somehow at the the top of Hollywood and the top of the music scene, that stuff would all mesh together or blend away or, or go away entirely. But it doesn't. It's just as clear as it always was. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, people are people, man. And, and people create cliques and crews and they, you know, they're, particular and choosy and, and when you start dealing with artists and hollywood types their circles of trust are very small people are trying to take advantage of them everyone has their hand out everybody wants something so they're not the most inviting people in the world um just because so many people have tried to you know enter into their world uh you know with their own intentions and um and then here you come so you know it's definitely I think it's normal, though, you know, people are people like you, like you said, coming to a new job. You know, we've already established who we are. What are you here to do? Are you are you here to take my job? You know, there's all these different things and, and emotions and insecurities and all these particular things swirling. And I think um, you win or what I found is you win when you're just confident that you're being the best you you can be, you know, and not worrying about, you know, to me, success is doing what I've been created to do, not comparing myself to you. And so, you know, we all have our own race to run, our own lane to run in. And that's kind of where I've had to like land my plane. Cause otherwise I think you'll lose your mind. You'll go crazy. You'll try to compete, compare. And it just, it'd become a nightmare. Yeah. I, th I think that the comparison to others, and we talk about this a lot on the show is you're always comparing your blooper reel to someone else's highlight reel. You know, I don't think, Beyonce and Jay-Z invite people over when they're feeling antisocial and have, you know, having a downtime. And all right. we see is their curated feed. And I would imagine that just as what we see on Facebook for, for regular folks like you and I, or, or I should say like, like me and, and some of the folks listening to the shows, we already see our friends' highlights. In Hollywood, you're seeing your friends' highlights that are curated by professionals who are 
solely employed to, one, create those highlights, take perfect photos of them, post them at the perfect time on social media following, and then they get a, a million likes. It mu- It's probably even more intense at that level because yeah. if your friend from high school does something and it gets 10 likes, you're like, oh, cool. But if somebody who you know in your circle gets 180,000 likes, you start to feel yeah. like, gee, I only got 10,000 likes. I must be <laughs> really, I'm not doing anything special here, right? The scale yeah. is so much bigger for you yeah yeah and and the blooper reel that's why people like go crazy and and you know the 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 you know paparazzi and everybody just harps on your most human moments because it's like what you did something regular or normal or you messed up you know what i mean like kanye runs into a stop sign it's like replay that 30 million times you know what i mean and it's because the picture that's been painted for the world is like you know, is this flawless, you know, perspective of, of celebrity culture. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at all that. And, and if you're not confident in who you are or why you're there, it's always going to be in the back of your mind. Yeah. I I think with Kanye, maybe not the best example because I think he's 50% blooper reel, but he does that on purpose too, right? That's crafted, I think. Or maybe that's just who he is. And he's like, look, I'm, Try and catch this train wreck. That's that's our that's my brand now. <laughs> Try and catch it. I got a personal theory on on Kanye, man. I I really feel like Kanye is like, you know, the amount of pressure and the amount of like, um, just eyes. Like, I think he just has days where he's like, you know, throws caution to the wind and says, "Man, y'all are driving me crazy. I don't even care." And then he has days where he's just like, "I can't take it anymore. I'm gonna snap on all of y'all." Like like just let me be you know what i mean so that's the double-sided the double-edged sword of like fame for people it's like you you appreciate everyone recognizing your craft and and loving you but then at the same time you want to be a normal person sometimes and you're not allowed to be so it's a weird place to be what place are you in right now i mean at some level you have to be in there and in reading the book i noticed that you have a lot of tension in your identity almost. I mean, you've got a lot of ups and downs. These, the ups and downs you're going through and that you go through in the book that you detail in the book sound like a regular track for any entrepreneur or any hip hop artist. I mean, you're talking a lot about self-sabotage and and something called imposter syndrome. Like, do I belong here? Am I just the guy who slipped through the cracks and everybody knows it? Tell us about those feelings because these are feelings that literally every entrepreneur has. Everybody who gets into a good college, you hear this. How many people think you slipped through the admissions, you know, the admissions requirements? I mean, these are things that are very, very common and almost universally human. I, I think we'd love to hear about that from you, especially. Yeah, you're, you know, they're just, I think, unless you're just a suit, like the most narcissistic person in the world and a megalomaniac who thinks they deserve every ounce of credit that they've ever gotten. Um, I think everyone's going to deal with that once they achieve some level of success, you know, because at some point in time, you know, you're given the benefit of the doubt because of your prior successes. And you're like, oh, did I just did they didn't did no one catch that? I'm that I'm like not perfect. Did they miss that? Did they did I, did I sneak in here? Am I supposed to be here? And, you know, things happen to you that you only imagined happening to other people and you, and not yourself. And so it's just kind of a weird scenario where you start questioning, like, 
is this legit? Like, is someone going to walk in the room at any moment and be like, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Got to take that back. Got to take away all your accolades or whatever it is that you've accomplished. But again, I think there's nothing's new under the sun. And, and everyone is inspired by other people. And everyone, you know, some of our, our greatest triumphs um, come from you know, tons of mistakes, you know what I mean? And so, you know, you, you only, you, you make a great song or a great piece of art or uh, a decision or whatever it is that you do for a living. You do that after a lot of trial and error, you know, rarely does someone just kind of step out the gate and like knock the ball out the park. And so I think it's, you see all the errors that you've made to get where you've gotten and you're thinking everyone else does too, because they only see that the, the moment of success. You know, they only see that presentation in the office that you slayed, even though you know you messed up a gazillion times at home trying to put that presentation together. And so, you know, that's where it comes in. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. 
You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. One of the things that you have is one of your personal mottos, or maybe it's the personal motto, but I notice this and I love this, is if you live for other people's acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. How did that yeah. become, how did you learn that lesson? Well, it's funny, as a lyric, I, I did this album called Gravity, and um, I was talking about, and I can't even remember the name of the song now. Your, um, your own Free song. From It All. It's called Free From It All. And it was the first time I was like really dealing with the pressure of people you know, expecting perfection out of me. It was like, whoa, what is this? You know what I mean? And um, I remember a mentor of mine said that the higher they lift you, um, the further, you know, you have the fall. You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of like the more that they admire you, the more perfect they make you in their minds and the more disappointed in you they are in you. Because it's kind of like they created this, idol in their minds of who you are, this, this, this superhero, and you can't live up to it. And so once you start living for the acceptance of people, then when you're not accepted by them, it'll crush you. And I experienced it. It's just kind of like, hey, you know, you're like trying to please everyone and pander to everybody. But, you know, saying yes to somebody means you got to say no to somebody else. And, and so someone's going to be disappointed at the end of the day. And you're just going to have to be okay. And so the model that I've kind of learned to live with is like, you know, if you influence a thousand people, there's going to be a hundred critics and you're, you're never going to have everybody satisfied. So you got to do what, you know, you were made to do versus doing what everyone else is like demanding that you do. because so you'll be unhappy for the rest of your life. How does that play out in practicality? Do you do you have a, a calculation in your head that you're going through when someone says, hey, man, we should collaborate on this next record? Is there something going through your head where you're like, all right, this would be good for my brand in this way, bad for my brand in that way? I mean, how do you isolate the people-pleasing impulse that's going on in the back of your head? Like, I want to say yes to this. How do you balance that? And is there, a, is there a, something concrete that you do, that some sort of thought process? I think um, after a while, you do have like, you if you create goals, you have to start thinking like, is this is this helping me uh, accomplish whatever particular goal that I've set out to accomplish? You know, is this helping me or is this like distracting me or hindering me from accomplishing that goal? So for me, practically, you know, I set out a few particular goals, you know, and some things were hindrance. Like I, I had said probably back in like 2012, like, I wanted to be a voice in culture to like help influence culture for the better. And, you know, there, if, if an opportunity comes up to like, I don't know, man, do you want to like be in this, you know, relay race? And it's like, what is it for? It's like, Oh, it's just like, you know, just a random relay race versus someone else saying you want to be in this relay race. That's like for cancer awareness or something. It's like, obviously I'm going to go with the cancer awareness one because that one is more in line with the goal that I had set. And so I'm not as mad at disappointing whoever, you know, cause it may be like Jennifer Lopez, like, Hey, come run in my relay. What's it for Jennifer? It's just for fun. And then like breast cancer awareness is like, come run in our relay. It's like, ah, freak. 
It's Jennifer Lopez. You know what I mean? What do you do? But, you know. <laughs> um, Is that a real example? I'm curious. No. Okay. <laughs> it's not a real example, but um but I mean that would be a struggle, right? Like people would struggle with that. But if you have like a goal in mind, you can't be like frustrated if you're I mean you can't like beat yourself up like, "Oh man, Jennifer's going to think I hate her if I don't do this. I'm so I like I'm such a fan of you know, whatever. I care so much about what she thinks about me. It's kind of like you got to be determined to do what it is that you set your mind to do. And then, you know, if that's what it is, then do it. Otherwise, you'll just be off track all the time and doing right. what everyone else wants you to do. So, Do you see that happening in in hip-hop or in creative spaces that you're in? Do you see people get distracted and then become so vanilla that they're not interesting anymore? Absolutely. You see it all the time. You know, it's just it's actually just a part of what happens, you know, people get, they don't, some people don't have a vision for themselves. They don't have an identity. And so they let other people create that form. And by the time they figure it out, it's too late. You know, it's like you came in here and you had no plan. You just want like fame is like a for real drug that really leads to nowhere if you don't know how to leverage it, you know? So it's kind of like people will chase fame and acknowledgement and they won't know what to do with it and now all they have is that you know so you're just famous for what like you're you know like the the guys who say something silly on like youtube or or social media it's like that's all they're known for and it's like they don't know how to leverage it they just they just take their 15 minutes and they'll chocolate rain and then they'll get out of yeah here. you know what i mean <laughs> you know it's like that was it that's my contribution to society is chocolate rain. I don't, and no, no knock to him. Maybe he had a plan. It just didn't work out, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> you picked the chocolate rain guy, Tay Zonde, because I, that song is so catchy and addicting and it gets in your head. And then you think like, okay, I saw that. And then I saw this Dr. Pepper commercial that I still remember. Probably the only soda commercial I remember in my whole life where he's doing like cherry chocolate, rain or something like that and then he was just done it was just stratosphere he was on jimmy kimmel like the youtube special he had that hit song on on youtube he did a dr pepper commercial and now it's just done it's over and who knows where that that guy works now right like if anything is happening because of that he burned he he burned so hot he burned out um and it's man it's a funny example what reminded you of that like where did that even come from how is that in your consciousness right now I don't know, man. It just hit me. You know what I mean? Is that you just see it so much. You just see people who like, and I, and I, and that's for anybody, you know, like that's for somebody who's working at a bank, you know, like what is the am- ultimate ambition? You know, is, is your plan just to get promoted there? And then like all of a sudden you're working at this bank for the rest of your life. If so, great. But if, if you don't have a vision for what it is you ultimately want to accomplish, then you're just allowing that job to create a vision for you. And you're not, you know, like you're not um, leveraging that for other opportunities. And that's really like, I remember I had a job at, um, at a cable company and I was like, you know, first you install cable. And then I was like, and it's hot in these attics. And so I'm, I'm going to go to the call center and, uh, and then I'm working in the call center and I'm like, you know, this is this is the worst, like helping like, you know, 75 year old ladies like figure out how to work their remote controls. It was like man, the most tedious, difficult job. You pull your hair out. It's like, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. It's the red. It's the red button, the red one. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, 
you know, this is not a part of the plan. And um, we had a conference meeting one day and the, the vice president of marketing came in there and uh, she was like talking about the company or whatever. And I, and I went up to her afterward and I said, I said, yo, can I please like come in on my days off from the call center and like learn marketing? You know, I'll do whatever. And she was like, okay. I said, I'll do whatever. Just, I just want to learn like how to, how this marketing company works. And then I just went in there to learn like marketing and ended up getting hired, you know, on the, as a, on a marketing staff. But it was like, for me, it was a vision. I I, I was like, I want to be creative. I want to think about ads and campaigns and, and be artistic. And it was me trying to leverage that call center job for something else other than just letting that become sit the driver's seat for me. That's a really good example. A, a lot of what we teach at Art of Charm and social capital and things like that has to do with seizing opportunity, creating opportunity. What? How did you get that in your head? Like, all right, I work at this tedious job. I need to figure out how to move up. Is that, how did you get that kind of bit of code in your DNA? What, what, have you always been like that? Look for the little edge or is that something you developed over time? It was, it was a both and, you know, I was always ambitious and like, but you, you get to a point where you realize, you know, cause I think every artist or every person is like waiting for that handout or that big break. Someone's going to just knock on your door and say, look at this talent. I heard you singing in a shower all the way from Hollywood. We want to sign you up. Like it just doesn't work like that. And, um, and I never forget my stepdad telling me, I said, yeah, I got a job at, um, at the, the cable company, you know, in a, in a call center. And he was like, Oh, cool. You're a warm pulse. And I was like, Oh, oh what? <laughs> I was like, what? And it, it hit me like, Oh wow. That's like a different perspective, you know, that I hadn't had. And I was like, well, how do I get from being a warm pulse to like, to the, to the heartbeat? You know, what does that look like? And for me, it was just always like, I want to create, I want to create things and inspire people. And, and, um, and when she came in there explaining like, oh, you're behind how this company like actually is marketed to the world. Like, I want to be in that room. You know what I mean? I just want to learn how to do that. And so it was kind of like, I'm not going to sit here and be a warm pulse. You know, if that's what you think I am, no way I'm out of here. First of all, yeah. Warm pulse, warm body, kind of accurate, but that's not a very encouraging thing to say <laughs> to your kid. Right. What was going on there? He doesn't, he sounds like he was not necessarily rooting for you sometimes. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I mean, you know, I think he's just kind of like, he's, he's the ultimate tough love type of person. Like he's not like the most, um, you know, I mean, he grew up without having that type of encouragement. So, you know, he, you can only be what you've seen. You can only become what you've beheld and he hadn't beheld that. So for him, it was like, look, I'm doing good by like putting food on your table, buddy. You know what I mean? So it was like, all right, well, there we go. I'm, you know, so it was, I remember one time I was like, you know, I got this girl problem. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't deal with that type of stuff. I was like, all right, moving on. Um, (laughs) You know, but that was his thing. It was kind of like, look, the world's not going to be handed to you. So you got to go out there and, and, and and grab it by the sack. And, um, and that was his perspective. You know, when I uh, moved out the house, you know, he gave me like a couple hundred dollars and he was like, you know, don't F it up. You know what I mean? It's it like, all right. All right. <laughs> you know, I was like, go out into the world and get it right. Every kid needs a father. And you write about this a little bit in your book. It, it sounds like you did have that stepdad, but also your your biological dad was out of the picture. Yeah. 
How did that affect you? I mean, look, we all know this is negative, but we don't really think about the specifics a lot of the time. I mean, you hear a lot like, well, look, so many babies are growing up without fathers, but what did this do to you specifically? In your book, you were pretty detailed. You'd thought a lot about the fact that your biological dad had left. A lot. Yeah. There's there's what you call a father wound, and a father wound is like, you know, this 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 gaping wound that is left by you know, absentee fathers. And, you know, when you, when you start doing the, the math and you look at, you know, 90% of violent crimes are committed by men, 85% of like rapes and assaults are committed by men. Um, you see like, there's this, like this men have a sense of like, you know, there's just certain things that men are involved in. And when, and then you go to the prison and you do a survey and 85% of the inmates there have uh, strained relationships with their fathers. And so you see the consistency of like, well, I have no idea what it means to, to be a man. I have no idea what it means to like go after a woman or like change a tire or, you know, so I have to like scrape and scrap and piece together my sense of masculinity because I don't have a vision. I don't have a roadmap in front of me. And, um, and so that was my burden. It was you're always wondering who you are because that's you know even if you suck as a dad, your son is gonna look up to you if he if you're around. It's just like this innate thing. Like your your son until he's old enough to know better to know you suck, he's just gonna look up to you. Like you think your dad's a superhero, or whatever. My dad was gone. I still was like, oh, he's he's out doing something awesome. He'll be back one day. You know, it's like this dream, and um and he didn't deserve that type of uh, esteem, it just comes with the territory. And so I think for me, um, I struggled with having this person that I esteemed not invest in me, not show me who I was supposed to be, how to handle situations. And you just get thrust into the world like a, you know, in a, like a, in a, uh, a, a pinball machine, if people even know what those are in 2016 but oh yeah i hope so otherwise i feel really old yeah there's these things called pinball machines kids check them out on they're on google but uh (laughs) yeah you know it's like you get thrust in there and it's just like you're just bouncing around like i don't know what i'm supposed to do when am i a man i don't know is it when i first have sex is it when i first pay my bills is it when i first like what makes me a man because i don't have a roadmap and that's how i constantly felt um is just the sense of like, I don't know who I am. And then also just like him not being present, it you did feel a sense of like, well, maybe it's my fault. You don't know that you feel that way as a kid, but you do. You're like, maybe this is my fault. So you at some level felt like it's it's your fault that he went away. Maybe you're not worthy of love. Maybe you're not worthy of others' love as well as his, as your father. I mean, it sort of spilled over into other areas of your life, did it not? Absolutely. Yeah, and, I, and you know, I write like most of my most of my issues in my life, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to blame him for everything, but I mean, it can be traced back to just that lack of identity and that lack of sense of like, um, what is my role here? And, 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 um, and, and how did I influence his departure? And maybe, maybe I'm just so messed up that, you know, um, that's why he left. And, um, you know, you experience circumstances and situations where you're just kind of like they tell you how smart your father is or how cool of a guy he was. And it's like, well, why isn't he here? You know, it's an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It's another old school show, kids. It's on Google. 
the episodes on YouTube or something like that. But you know, when when Will Smith gets into it with his dad, his dad storms out or leaves. Says, "Sorry, Will, I gotta go." And then Will breaks down for his uncle, and he's like, "Why doesn't he love me, man?" You know what I'm saying? And you just mm-hmm. you feel rejected, you feel dejected, and you're looking for that everywhere you can find it as you navigate through life. So affirmation becomes a big part of your narrative if you feel rejected by your father, because that your parents are the first affirming people you ever experience. Like their word is everything to you. You know, you can crush a child's dreams as a parent by saying, you know, you're the worst this, or you suck at that. But if you affirm them and you tell them, man, you are. So, I mean, a lot of parents lie to their kids and give them a false sense, false sense of affirmation. That's a different story, but I'm just saying a, a parent has so much power and um and if and if your parent does not affirm you or you feel rejected by them then that's that shapes your perspective as you navigate the world you know and that was me you know my first encounter with the world was your dad doesn't want to have anything to do with you so now go deal with that you know 4 year old 5 year old go deal with that Thanks for listening and supporting the show. For a list of all the amazing sponsors and discount codes, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Can you discuss kind of what took the place of your father at that point? Because it led down a pretty crazy path. Yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> a lot of the role models that I had were, you know, guys in my neighborhood, um, cousins and uncles who you know, were influenced by gang culture, drug culture. You got to remember, we're, we're talking about um, guys who, these these uncles of mine are guys who grew up in the 80s and, you know, they're teenagers. And this is during the time of the war on drugs. And so in a, specifically like in a black community in the, in the you know, inner city, the drug dealer was, was a hero. You know what I mean? Like the gang leader was a hero because there were, you know, these guys grew up with like a lack of aspirations. There was like, you can be Martin Luther King if you want to and get shot. You know, there's no Barack Obama at this point in time. So there's not a lot of models to follow. And all of a sudden you got these guys in the community who have the cars, who have the money, who have the, you know, they've climbed the social ladder. And these are the guys that my uncles and my cousins would admire and look up to. And so they're trying to emulate these guys and I'm trying to emulate them. And you know, it's just a cycle of, you know, tragic influence um, that just perpetuates to where you're like, you know, I don't know. I can't see myself being anything outside of what, uh, you know, is put in front of me. You know, this and this is like. Until Bill Cosby comes along, you don't see, doc, you know, like a black doctor on television, so you don't know that's a reality for your life. You know what I mean? And and now you're conditioned to like be this type of person, even if it's not in your DNA. And that's what I started to wrestle with was like, man, I'm just not, I'm just not as tough as somebody. I, I'm just allergic to bullets. I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> um, I just don't like getting stabbed. I don't think this is the route for me. And you've grown up in this environment where your artistic, you know, inclinations and your, you know, being sensitive is not something that's welcome. And obviously everybody's, Probably ha- a lot of people are sensitive and have these artistic bents, but they're not allowed to display them. So you you suppress them and you try to become something that you're not or you become what you have to become to survive. And uh, and that was a, a huge piece of my identity crisis was, 
you know, trying to be something that I, I don't think I was ever, it, it was never, um, I wasn't built to be, you know? How did you end up getting through that? Because that seems like you could easily stall out right there and start self-sabotaging and that's the end. Um, man, I had the, I have, honestly, I have the most resilient mother one will ever find. I, I just, her level of like, no, this will not happen. Um, you know, she would try anything and everything. And, you know, my mom worked with, with, at a halfway house. So she was working with like people who were in and out of prison all the time. So her level of like navigating this world, um, her insight was just really keen. So, so dealing with me was like, she, she had all the Jedi mind tricks cause she was using them for a lot of these guys who were coming in and out of prison. So just her tactics was like, she would do scared straight stuff to me. You know, she'd be like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, for her, it was like, I'm just going to drop you off at jail and we'll see what happens. Like, you're going to do what? I'm going to keep you out this system no matter what. And she, and her determination was very strong. So she worked really hard to make sure that, um, you know, that I had opportunities to be, you know, all that I could be. You know, she would um, investigate and ask questions if she met somebody um, in a, you know, who was involved in the school who she'd ask them, you know, what kind of programs I may be able to get them plugged into. And, you know, she would ask random neighbors and just, just always about trying to figure out how to make the most out of um, my time and her time. And uh, I think that paid off for me in the end. And um, eventually around 14, she, she snatched me out of the environment that I was in and said, look, this is not going to happen anymore. And, um, and, you know, she put me in a whole different atmosphere. At what point did you start getting really into hip hop? Because one thing I thought was kind of funny slash disturbing in your book was that you said Tupac started to influence you significantly. And Tupac was almost <laughs> like a surrogate dad in terms of role model. But that's not really a wholesome role model. I mean, work ethic. Great. Yeah, he worked his butt off. But the rest, not so sure. <laughs> yeah. The thing about Tupac that a lot of people, you know, you have to listen to the album cuts a lot more than like the singles because Tupac was like. I think he was um, kind of like, you know, classic just bipolar schizophrenic rapper. You know what I mean? Like he was like, there'd be one song where he's like telling women to keep their head up. And next song he's like, you know, I'm gonna kill everybody. You know what I mean? And right. so I think the the anger and the frustration is what drew me to a lot of the more violent, like negative songs. But then there was a sensitive side that he would like allow people to see that we just hadn't seen in hip hop um, prior to that. It just was not allowed. Um, and um, I mean, not, not allowed, it just was rare. And so that sensitive aspect of just expressing himself and talking about his pains and his tears and, and, and what about heaven and he, and his mom and our dear mama. And you're like, Oh man, like this is how I feel but I don't have to hide it anymore. Um, and he gave us, gave us like the freedom to express ourselves a little more fully than just that bravado machismo gangster side that, um, everyone was kind of putting on display. So I got into hip hop because my cousins were huge hip hop fans and, um, you know, they were into everything and they would stay up late watching the rap videos when, you know, that it was like a, they would come on late at night 
And um, and I would sneak and stay up. I was like five or six years old, but I would sneak and stay up and just peer around a corner and watch all these these rap videos. And it was like seeing another world. It was like, whoa, look at this. And um, I just fell in love instantly, you know, with that. And I, I credit them for introducing me. And so at what point, well, first of all, your first performance was at a talent show and you did OPP by Naughty by Nature. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but now that you're now that you're a man of God, you can't be down with OPP, right? <laughs> that's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. man. I don't think it's healthy for anybody anyway, man. That's how diseases get spread around. And <laughs> stick with your own. <laughs> so, but you grew up in an environment that was slightly different from from most of us. I mean, look, you grew up in what you had said yourself in the book was the ghetto. Your babysitter was cooking crack in the kitchen. Yeah. How did you yeah. know it was crack, by the way? I'm thinking, like, at what age are you like, that? what is that? Oh, it's crack. I mean, what did she tell you? Well, you see, this is the funny thing. You don't learn that stuff until, you, like, until you're an adult, and you're, like, sitting back having a drink with your aunt, and then they laugh about something like that. And you're like, say, what did you just say? Did you just say <laughs> what? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's kind of like, that's kinda, that kind of stuff just comes out later. And you're like, oh, okay. But, you know... It's it's not quite like the media would display it or like, you know, movies would, would picture it. You know, we're talking about the early 80s where people didn't quite know what its capability was. It was like it was just like the the, the happening thing. And, you know, somebody had to try heroin first to be like, oh, OK, this is bad. You know what I mean? It's like it yeah. wasn't you know, I don't, I don't think they saw it as like this super drug that's going to demolish the community at the time. And so. Um, you know, that's kind of what ended up happening, you know, and, and I have family members who fell victim to, you know, addiction and other family members who woke up and said, uh, uh-uh, this is no good. We, we got to back away from this. And, uh, and so, yeah, you know, I, I grew up, but I, you know, what's funny is in every environment that I've lived in or I stayed in, you know, you never felt like it was the hood because your, your mom, your dad, your uncles, your grandparents always lived in something far worse so they their description of the hood was so much worse than what you were existing in that it just wasn't like you you weren't even allowed to think your environment was was bad you know what i mean it's kind of like we're eating dinner every night my mom would eat dirt to keep her stomach from growling and so i was like i'm not complaining you know we're on government assistance but i'm not complaining you know i'm getting i'm eating so i I never really thought of it as that bad you know what i mean how is growing up in that kind of environment, you know, with the, the absentee father, the stepfather who is maybe rooting for you some, somewhat, maybe not so much, how, is, how has that affected the way that you raise your own kids? You have your own children now, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, it has its ups and downs, has its challenges. You know, obviously, you're motivated to be involved. You're motivated to be around. You're motivated to, to support them, to love them. Um, to be everything that you did not get to experience. And so, you know, I'm, I'm riding bikes with my kids, which is something I've never experienced with a grown man in my life. You know what I mean? So that's mm-hmm. just a completely, you know, foreign concept. Yeah, it's a foreign concept. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, there's things that I don't know if, if this is good or bad. You know, my wife is like, you know, I'm I'm like trying to teach my son how to box. I'm like, you got to watch out. Somebody might try you. And she's like, no one's going to try him at this private school. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, but oh, you never you know that. Right. <laughs> Pro- probably she's right, but it doesn't hurt to be the guy who knows how to do that stuff. As long as you're keeping it defensive, I think that stuff right. is powerful. But yeah. 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 But it's just, those are survival skills for me. For him, it's like, I don't, he's in like 
you know, Lego club. You know what I mean? It's like, what is that? I don't, it's a different world. We live in a different world. If somebody tries to take your Legos, man, jab, jab, <laughs> right hook. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, it comes with this ups and downs. You know, my kids will finish their cereal and, and like pour the milk in the sink. And I'm like, that's, we, we never did that. You got to drink that milk because that's not. You know, and my wife is like, there's more milk. We can buy more milk. And I'm like, can we? You're right. We can. Let me calm down. Yeah. It's different. Let me check my Grammy. Oh, yeah. We can afford we can afford milk. Right. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Let me look back on that Grammy. I mean, it it wasn't always smooth sailing for you, though, man. I mean, you had that rough childhood. And then instead of just being like religion, you were like, all right, how about some weed and some booze? And it seemed like you were kind of trying to reinvent yourself. You went by your middle name, which is Lecrae, right? And you were just kind of like, can I, how do I, how do I start over? And you kept trying to do that with substances as well. Yeah, very true. You, you, you want to numb the pain is really what you're trying to, what I, what I was trying to do was numb the pain and, um, and drugs and is an easy way to do it. You know, drugs is an easy way. Alcohol is an easy way to forget about, you know, let your inhibitions go. And, you know, when your mind is racing constantly with, worries and anxieties and struggles and problems and fears it's like i I just need to escape my mind right now and uh and and drugs and alcohol become an easy outlet um to do those particular things so you know they became um a, a consistent part of of my life and even though you know a lot of people say oh you you found god you're good and and i think that's that's kind of like the cliche you know um there's a lot of Christians in in in, in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Like, there's a lot of you know uh, religious people who are homeless. You know, you talk to some guys on the street, they they'll run down all types of like you know incredible um, you know religious themes on you, but it doesn't mean they've escaped you know the perils of life and and and, and the things that this life brings to you. So. Yeah, so you you tried a few religions though, right? I mean, it was you were you tried Islam, you tried a couple different religions. What were you looking for at that point? I mean, what were you searching for? I think initially, like you know, people say religion is a crutch, and I'm okay with that, right? Like I'm okay with that because I think end of the day, like there's people who are hobbling out here, and and um and I knew I was, you know, I knew I didn't, I wanted nothing to do with. Not not trying to be irresponsible with my life at all, but I, I wanted nothing to do with like having to handle the 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 aspect of meaning and purpose and like yeah, I'd create my own purpose in life, you know. Like that was just to me is like that's stressful. That just was too much for me. Um, I'm I'm more prone to ruin my life than like create purpose and meaning and worth for it. So. I said, man, I got to figure out what life, what's the meaning of life? Like, why am I here? You know what I mean? Um, gotta, it's got to be more to life than just like drinking, drugging and sleeping with, with women. It's got to be more to life than just making money and going to work every day. Like, it's got to be some sort of purpose. And that's when I went on my faith journey. And um, and I don't regret it. You know, it was it was it was great to be informed on all these world religions and to learn about them from you know, a deeper perspective. And I have a respect for people from different faiths because of that. You know, there's a lot of Islamophobia in America right now. And I think it's because people aren't informed of, you know, what 
Islam is about and and what and they don't have any Muslim friends or anything along those lines. But um, but what I found for you know for me was that most world religions are about you in some shape, form, or fashion, kind of earning your way to heaven. And um, and you know for me, Christianity was the only one that said, "Nah, you're a screw up. Let me do this for you." And you just trust me. And I was like, I can rock with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, right. There's the role model you thought you've never had, right? Exactly. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like, hey, you know, so you mean you 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 do the work and I just trust you and follow you. I'm with that. But if I got to do the work, this is going to be a bad situation. I'm just going to have to. Yeah, it's not going to work out. Have you seen my track record? I need an example here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What other religions did you try besides Islam and Christianity? Um, I looked into the Baha'i faith. I looked into Buddhism. Um, I looked into Rastafarianism just because I like to smoke weed. And I was like, man, this seems right. Like weed and religion, <laughs> they, this they have up. to go together in some kind of way. Um, and so, yeah, man, I, I, I was, you know, determined. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like... The the religious stuff aside, you've you're maybe just a passionate personality looking to deep dive into everything that you do, whether it's as you state in the book, weed, women, religion, or records. Would you agree with that? You do you deep dive into everything? Absolutely. I'm a deep diver, man. I was I will I will sit up and research something for seven hours online. Like Wikipedia and Google are the worst things they could have ever invented for somebody like me. Wikipedia not so much, because I mean I realize that it's not as factual as I like it to be, but, but yeah, I dive in, man. I, I need to know, you know what I mean? I really, really have to know. And, it, and even like with faith, it was like, I was such a skeptic. I needed to know. So I needed to read everything. I needed to experience everything, um, you know, in terms of like what people would say about drugs or anything along those lines. It was kind of like, man, I'm, I'm going all in, you know, I'm all, I'm an all or nothing type of person. So, you know, I've never kind of straddled the fence. I'm just kind of an all or nothing type of guy. And, uh, and you even did that with religion, which I can see from the book. It's the, the irony, though, is not lost on me when you stole your first Bible. That was a good <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? Who steals a Bible? Did you realize at the time that this was some irony happening? Like, you just jacked that. Man, I, in my mind, I'm just thinking, like, look, God, you, clearly you know how much I need this. So I don't think you're going to have an issue with it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like. If a person's starving, they have they have no money, no food. You gotta expect them to steal some food, man. It's just so. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think twice about it. Um, it's that's the funniest thing about it. So. Yeah, yeah. of course. And now now you're probably giving away Bibles, right? Yeah, you can. I'll, I'll give. Them to you. <laughs> I'll go buy you one, man. Don't steal that. Don't steal. Yeah, I I think <laughs> there's just something there where it's like you can't let that go. Like that's got to be in the back of your mind at some point. Um, even now, though, that your music is becoming more secular, you kind of can't win because when you were off track in your life, the religious stuff, you were really into that. People, you were worried about the judgment from other people, judgment from from God. And now your stuff's becoming more secular and you're getting criticism from religious folks, friends and people that you work with and members of your church. Yeah, yeah, man. And I mean, you know, I think you you grow comfortable in your skin and you say, man, this is who I am, you know, and I can't like placate to you for the rest of my life. You know, I've got to be me. And, you know, the people that I know and love and trust, they know 
what I'm about. They know what I'm on. And, you know, if you're, you know, there's, there's just, there's no pleasing everybody. And so at the end of the day, like I got to answer to God for my life and not you. And so, um, I'm fully convinced that, you know, the, the moves I'm making and the things that I'm doing artistically are not like, you know, uh, going against my faith and my views and my beliefs. And so it's kind of like, man, you know, if you're not there, Hey, I understand. Like I've been there, but you know, you'll grow, you'll mature and you'll see that, you know, there's far worse things in the world than doing a song with B.O.B. or, you know, I don't know, Justin Timberlake, whatever, man. It's like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. you grow, you mature, you learn. And, um, and yeah. And I mean, th- I think a lot of times, man, and I, 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 you know, I love, um, I think, you know, the religious community has done a lot of incredible things. You know, hospitals were started because of them. You got the red cross and all these wonderful outlets, you know, Martin Luther King driven by his faith. And so, you know, I think there's tons of great contributions but at the same time, there's another side that just is motivated by fear. And when you when you're motivated by fear, you live in a bubble and in a shell and you just kind of protect yourself from everything. And you miss out on experiencing some amazing things because you're so worried about getting the cooties. And um, I think that's where some education has to be done. It seems like both religious folks and non-religious folks fall into that category at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. There's kind of like this, well, I don't want to do that because that's worldly. And then there's the whole, whole, I don't want to do that because that's religious, which is not where my beliefs are, or it's weird. So it's like there's this tension between, and you see this at the Beyonce party, going right back to the beginning, is a lot of people were tense around you because you're a Christian and they felt like they didn't know how to act around you. Meanwhile, you've got all of these uh, religious folks who I think feel like they don't know how to act around secular folks either sure so there's just you end up with this weird separation when it's supposed to do the opposite yeah and that's exactly what happens is this it's kind of like man you know everyone has unique wirings and giftings and and complement one another in so many beautiful ways and and we miss out on the beauty of all that we miss out on experiencing the the beauty and diversity and Obviously, there's some things that we're not all going to agree on and, you know, and that's that's fine. But but we miss out on what we do agree on. We miss out on on how we can, um, you know, work together and and, you know, help each other. It it starts to turn into a us versus them instead of in, you know, a we. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's tragic. You know, it's it's akin to race and racism. You know what I mean? And that's that's very tragic to me. And so um, I, I have great friends from all walks of life, irreligious, religious, Muslim, you know, Judaism. And um, and I learn a lot, you know, and, and I I benefit from those relationships. And, and I think people will say the same for me is they their life is enriched by having me in their life as well. So last but not least, how do you handle critics? I mean, at this point in your artistic career, you're getting feedback from so many people. How do you know who to listen to and who to ignore? Um, the easiest way to handle critics is ignoring them. Just being honest. Like that's just, you, you really have to, because the thing about criticism, not like healthy criticism, but like just visceral, ugly criticism. It's, 
purpose is to tear you down. Like that's the intent. And so as soon as you start diving into it and it starts getting under your skin, it's working. Like the intention of those of that negativity is to pull you down. Like someone is writing you in hopes to like just berate you and make you feel like the scum of the earth. And um, and as soon as you start getting frustrated by that, it's working. You know what I mean? And so um, I always say, you know, coaches never change their plays because of fans in the stands. You know, you 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 know the play you're going to run, run it. They can't even hear the fans. I mean, sometimes they can, but it's like that guy all the way up there in in the, the you know, the binocular section or whatever, like who thinks he knows exactly what should happen. Like he doesn't. You know, you're on the field as a coach because you do. And, you know, you're not going to do it perfectly, but you got to do what you've been made to do. And uh, that's kind of how I handled the criticism. How do you separate the the super negative criticism from what's valid feedback? Because, of course, if someone's like, look, Ray, you suck, you're a moron, you're like, okay, ignore. But yeah. what if someone's like, hey, man, you know, you're going to xyz direction this was too much x this was yeah. too much abc how do you separate the feedback from just the negativity um i think if, if you have people who care about you then those are the people that you listen to you know like the random person who just doesn't know me from adam and doesn't know my motives my heart my struggles it's just harder for them to know my intention and most of them are going to assume your motives because they don't know you but the people who know you, I think it's just really healthy for us to have friends who are not yes men. You know, you, you want your like friends who like are there to comfort you in your lowest times. And then you also want your friends who like, you know, are going to shoot it to you straight. And um, and those are the friends I like to keep around is the ones who I know are going to shoot it to me straight. They're not going to like sugarcoat it. They're not intimidated by by me in any form. And so their criticism is the one that I really value and appreciate. But like that guy, you know, on social media who is sincere as he wants to be, he just has a limited experience with me. So he doesn't quite know, you know, it's like he just doesn't know why I said what I said. He might even be misinterpreting it. And so, yeah. Lecrae, is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure you deliver to the AOC family? Man, I just hope that um, one thing I say um, is that I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are chasing a dream or like pursuing like their goals in life or whatever. And I, I just I just encourage them all to like. It's about the integrity of being who you are made to be, because there's no amount of money. Um, there's no person in the world who can add value to who you are like as a person, you know what I mean? And so if you believe that money and the affirmation of other people can, can add value to you, then you're already off on the wrong foot. And I would just, you know, I would reiterate that one more time to people because I've experienced both of them. You know, when you're, uh, you're sitting there listening to Kanye tell you how much he appreciates you and then you're making more money than you would have ever imagined you making. It does not add a day to your life, nor does it add any value to your worth as a person. So if you get that, if you get anything, get that. Lecrae, thanks so much, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, man. Appreciate you guys, man. It's dope. It's fun. Interesting stuff. This guy is, it was cool. He's very open. It took a minute, but you know, I think a lot of times these artists are used to these very superficial interviews. It was great to, to see him just kind of 
get really open about it and uh, and be very honest. And his book is very honest as well. A little bit towards the uh, the religious side of, of his development because it was published by a Christian publisher. But the stories, I mean, talk about overcoming adversity and finally finding role models. It's a constant struggle. So thanks to Lecrae for that. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Lecrae on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as the other resources mentioned on the show, including his book, Unashamed. You can tap our album art in most mobile podcast players to see the cheat sheet for this episode. We'll link to the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter. I post a lot of things there that never make it to the show, and it's a great place to engage with me. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Bootcamp and Art of Charm live program details, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Remember, we sell out a few months in advance, even though we run those every week. So if you're thinking about coming in even just a little, get in touch ASAP, get some info from us so you can plan ahead, and also check out the Social Capital channel challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or you can text charmed to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. It's all about improving your networking and connection skills and inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. We'll also email you our fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show and videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward every week. It'll make you a better networker, a better connector, and a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed in the U.S. to 33444. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead and tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. My time zone when my mind's gone and I'm flying home and I'm stressed out and I'm tempted to get that style phone and go pull it up. But you know what's up and you know that ain't gonna solve nothing. I mean, Lord forbid, I might fall or something and I'm all another cuss. So hold me down like bitch straps to the sight ward. It's killing me, but you still with me when I fight hard. And you digging me when I'm eating you. Deal with me when my car's pulled. Could have dealt with me, but you fell for me before I fell for you. Keep me on that right path and the right math. Is you plus nothing's everything. You my everything. Same. Ain't gotta question my allegiance Cause the way you love me, I can never leave I need you By my side, Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 